Hey, welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombians podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Jake. I'm Katie. On this week's podcast, we have a conversation with Katie and Jamie Herrera Butler, uh, our congresswoman representing Southwest Washington. Right. We touched on a few big issues at the moment. We talked about tolling. We talked about DACA. Trump got in there a little bit. Um, you also talked about gun rights, another hot we, topic. We did, yes. Yes, we finally got a slight position from her on bump stocks. Um, but first, uh, we have a conversation with David Robert Galatly, the chair of the Clark County Republican Party. Uh, Katie, you've been reporting on some internal drama with the party. Um, I understand the party had a big meeting Tuesday night. Uh, what was that about? The meeting Tuesday night was that of precinct committee officers who had fill, filled out a petition to remove four board members. Those four board members that have been causing some internal strife within the board. Uh, so that meeting appears to be successful for the most part. Three of those members were removed uh, and one remains whom McGlotley says he can work with. This isn't the first time this chair has clashed with members of his own party. No, yeah, it's been basically since he was voted in in December 2016. There's been several attempts to remove him as chair. There's been a lot of different allegations with misuse of campaign funds, um, and as well as just some general strife between him and those members who do not like him. So on the podcast today, we have uh, uh, David Robert Galatly. Is it Galatly or Gilatly? Galatly. Galatly. I think a lot of people wonder because they see your name a yeah, lot online. Yeah, it's a 50-50. 50-50? I mean, yeah. Okay. Um, well, you, you were elected to the as chair of the Clark County GOP. When, when was that election? It was December uh, last year. Okay. And, and last night, you retained your, your position. What, what happened? There was some sort of action with the party that happened last night. Yeah, there were four board members that were up for... Um, removal last night and the four board members that had really been actively trying to go after the chair um to remove the chair of the party myself okay uh, and were agitating and disrupting the party for the past six months um so out of the four that were up for removal three of them were removed last night by the body okay so just take i know this gets a bit arcane i don't fully understand myself the party rules but i was hoping you just take us through this process of of removing board members from from the the from the board okay so we have a 173 pcos currently mm -hmm. out of about 200 and i think 76 precincts so there's quite a few empty precincts still uh if you, there's two ways to remove a board member either a super majority of the board can create a resolution to bring it before the body um, or the majority of PCOs can sign a petition to call for a special meeting to remove any uh, of the board members. Okay. And so why did were these board members removed? Well, it, a lot of it, this drama has unfolded on Facebook, so a lot of it's it, out there. But. Yeah, it, it's, it's been kind of a mess out there. Um, really, there, there was some previous members that felt like they took over the party and had some top-down control over every aspect of it. And they had put together a slate of board members and they thought that they were going to be able to puppet these board members, I guess. Um, and it would, they'd retain control of the party even though they weren't on the board anymore. And some of the actions that they were taking um, didn't seem right to me. I didn't go along with some of the things that they wanted me to. And I guess that was when they decided that I had to go. Mm -hmm. And so first it was um, a lot of special meetings and some resolutions that tried to um, put really negative spins on things. And they were thinking that I would resign. And then they did a call to special meeting, which took five board members to sign a petition to call for my removal. 
and um, the email went out from one of those, uh, Christian Berrigan, I guess, um, mm -hmm. prior to that even being sent to me, he sent out a message saying, oh, they're going to send him a, a call to remove the chair. He'll probably resign. And they were getting mm -hmm. all excited. And they were trying these bully tactics, thinking that if they would make up some stories and um, you know, kind of put me on blast, I would say it's not worth it and I would just quit. Um, and when I didn't quit, then it got worse and worse and their stories got more and more exaggerated and extreme to the point they put up billboards all around Clark County and made up these websites to go after me and other board members and kind of orchestrated this big smear campaign. And it got to the point where I think it kind of bit them because our body saw what the disruption that was taking place and it was an embarrassment for our party and they it, that's what i think garnered the signatures to recall for their removal okay so why why didn't you i saw some of this <clears throat> again a lot of this is on on facebook that's uh so many stories and attacks against you um why, why didn't you resign why did you stay with this post well at, at first um I really believe in what we're doing, and we have a lot of great people. I I really like a lot of the board members, a lot of the members, um, and we have some great support. So it didn't affect me too much at first. And then when it got to a point where it was, we saw that there was going to be special meeting after special meeting where they were going to keep coming after me, I said, well, uh, I will resign. I'm just, I'll do it after the election season. None of these board members had shown up to any of the um, candidates meetings or forums or you know our phone bank system that we use to support candidates they weren't involved in any of the process so i wasn't going to abandon an election season to a bunch of people that had nothing no knowledge of what was going on and so i said I'll, I'll just resign after the election season you guys can have your your deal um it'll be up to the body to correct course if they want to later on but it you know became a point where it was just so much of my time that was being used for a bunch of nonsense and the those board members said no uh, we want you gone either right now or we're going to keep going after you and then then they started the smear campaign and the accusations were just egregious and then i said okay i had to fight back because if somebody's going to come after my reputation and make these outrageous claims if i quit it looks like i you know that i was guilty of something and um plus like I said, I, I believe in our party, and I, I think that the majority of our members wanted something better. And these few folks are so used to just pushing people around, bullying people, and anybody that stands in their way gives up and leaves. Um, a lot of our members quit showing up because they didn't want to get yelled at, called names in supposedly friendly meetings. So they, they were used to getting their way from these bully tactics and you know lying about people and all that. And so... It, just basically came to a point where somebody had to stand up and if it wasn't me who was going to do it and so um when i kind of decided I, I i was going to push back on it um then a lot of support came around uh, a lot of great people in the community uh, a lot of like i think five previous chairmen came around and started encouraging and you know giving me advice on and they wanted, you know, a lot of these people had put a lot of time into the party. Some of the previous chairs had spent, you know, years giving up a lot of their time to um, de dedicate to the party. And now they were being called rhinos and fake Republicans and um, 
you know, they had no business being in their meetings. And it was a party that they had helped develop over the past decade. So um, just a, basically a, a large group of people wanted something better. And I agreed to hang in there and see it through. And it was going to go one way or the other. Either those, those folks on the board that were stirring all this up we're going to have to part ways or I would resign. And that was the end of it. Uh, so to be clear, this, you know, um, smear and the, the attacks that have happened against you have gotten so bad that you recently filed a defamation suit. Yeah. Um, it, we got to a point where people are starting to assume that they can say anything they want in email chains and social media and on billboards create websites and they can put absolutely anything they want on there doesn't matter if it's true or not doesn't matter if they're you know it could damage somebody's reputation or their ability to get a job in the future um if it's the the ends justify the means we can do anything we want and there hasn't been any consequences or anybody that's really pushed back and it's gotten to a point where it is egregious it is um libel slander everything that folks just shouldn't be doing out in that that kind of realm of the the public part volunteer party i'm not an elected candidate i don't get paid for this uh, i'm just a volunteer and so um i think it's kind of taking a stand and saying you know you it's not only wrong what you're doing it's illegal what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, and just to circle back to you know these talks of resignation for a second you mm-hmm. know leading up to this meeting last night as well you had come out and said that if these four board members weren't removed, you and the vice chair would resign. Uh, so, you know, three of those board members were removed. What, what's your plan now? Are you going to stay in the position? Well, the, yeah, the, the board is made up of 11 members. And um, ha- having somebody that's been part of their party of disruption, um, but not to the extent as the other board members, um, we, me and the, the secretary used to get along really well. Uh, it's only been recent when, I guess, we've been button heads on the fact that she was basically taking that one side, and obviously it was the one that was in opposition to me. Um, I, I, having the majority on the board guides the direction of the party. And a couple of those, uh, I think, would damage the integrity of the board even if they weren't the majority. But I don't think the, our secretary is one of those people. So um, we have the majority on the board, and we just elected three amazing people. And so I'm really excited to work with these three people, and we can guide the, the party and have real leadership there through the, the majority. So um, I, if it was somebody else, it might have been a different story, but with her, I have um, no issue working with her. I, I think we can work through our differences and still have something really positive. Okay. Uh, so, talking just about the the meeting from last night, how would you characterize how it went? Um, well, people showed up. Um, that's I think that they in the last organizing meeting, uh, a lot of people didn't show up, and it was able to be controlled by a couple people that made a slate. Um, this time, people actually showed up, and that's what made the difference. Um, we we had a former state chair party come and chair the meetings because it was a very divided issue and I was kind of in the middle of that division and I didn't feel like it would be maybe necessarily the most appropriate for me to be taking on the people that were directly um, 
coming after or defending myself. And so having a state, a neutral party with no skin in the game, uh, former chair, chaired conventions, a lot of experience, come down and just be a really fair voice, but actually still be able to control the, uh, the meeting in an appropriate manner. Um, you know, there could have been a lot more heat and a lot of louder voices if I was the one that was trying to direct a dialogue in the meeting. And um, so I, I think it went really well. Um, all the rules were followed to a T. Um, there was no major disruptions. And the body had a voice and they made their decision. Yeah. Um, so just kind of speaking of disruptions as well, leading up to this meeting, there was quite a bit of of interference uh you know there was trying to cancel the meeting uh, i believe i even saw an email that was referencing threats to pcos who showed up to this meeting mm -hmm. uh can you speak to that a little bit well yeah i i was included on some of those emails and they were basically a couple of our pcos said that they were gonna take legal action against any pcos that participated um it was kind of outrageous we had uh board members contact the venue trying to cancel the meeting that was called by the pcos they uh they they passed resolutions that were in conflict with our bylaws saying that we're going to move it we're going to cancel your meeting um and move it to a regular meeting and the, the petition is only to call a special meeting they can't do that but they were taking every action possible to avoid the probably the outcome that they saw coming were you surprised by the outcome of last night's meeting no no how, how come uh well it was not hard for us to garner the signatures of the majority and we we have 173 members we had about 10 15 people that were out of town another five didn't show up so on um, people that would have favored the um, direction that we took we were down about 20 people but even being down 20 people we still had a majority in the meeting um, there was no question for the people that had been on the phone and talking to PCOs and really understand the um, the direction the body wants to go and the um, and how frustrated they were with the direction those individuals were taking us. Uh, I, I mean, it was probably closer than I would have hoped for on some of the votes just because um, we did have a lot of people that had to travel on business and things like that. But um, I, I, we, were, we walked in there fairly confident that the, the body was going to show up and they were going to voice the opinions that we had been hearing. And that's what happened. So what now, what do you need, do you think you need to do as chair to heal any, potentially any lingering divisions in the party? Well, first off, this, this didn't, the, the small group of people don't represent the Clark County Republican Party. They definitely don't represent the constituency in Clark County that tend to vote Republican. Um, so the waiting for that division to be removed um, in itself will start to bring in a lot of new people and a lot of excitement that just want, haven't had anything to do with the party because of it. Um, that should draw you know, larger attendance to the meetings and to the events. Um, but we also keep in mind that just because some people had been influenced by those four people and that maybe they were under the impression that things were going on that weren't going on, um, the more transparent we can be and the more we can stand up for positive things um we're, we we don't want to push out the people that just tried to push us out basically we want to we want to say you know the the majority has ruled here and we want you guys to still be a part i know some of them are going to leave some are going to be too disappointed or too upset to maintain membership or be a part of our events 
but we definitely want them to have a voice in our party. We're a big tent. So just because a small portion tries to push out everybody else doesn't mean we're going to try to push out all those individuals either. Um, I, some of the people are a little louder and more extreme and um, probably, you know, a couple of rotten apples could spoil the bunch. So I think there are some people that would be better off not having around. But by far the majority of, you know, the party split and uh, I think the majority of them, we agree on most issues where i mean we, we i could guarantee you those people that were fighting each other last night would agree on 80 to 90 percent of actual policy issues it's just tactics and rhetoric that divides us right now and so there's also supposed to be a meeting based on a petition on october 21st to consider your position again is that correct uh well the previous board had made a resolution to do that um that board doesn't exist now and so I, I don't see this current board still moving forward with that resolution. The, the body spoke pretty clearly last night, and the decision was either these members or the chair and vice chair. So um, I don't think we need to have them you know, go through the same process again three days later, four days later. Um, the, they showed up, they spoke loudly, uh, we have the results, and now we have a new board and um, the people that created that were already removed, so I don't think the body would even want to move forward with continuing their drama after they're gone. So, uh, so last night's meeting. So, do you think that that was about some deeper ideological or philosophical divide in the party, or do you think it was just an inter-party feud with just a couple louder and more extreme voices in the party just just need, needing to be um, removed from the board? Is is that it, or no? It, it's it was. Two things. There, there's there's some people that believe you have to be 100% pure in everything, and if there's an issue that you don't agree on, you got to go. And I think some of that exists. So I think there was a few people that worked really hard to ensure that their power over decision making was going to continue, and that was what was really behind most of what happened last night. So the last question I have is, is I see the word rhino on, on Facebook a lot, you know, the Republican in name only. Yeah. Um, what, is there such a thing as Republican name, in, in name only? What, what does it mean to you to be a Republican? Um, when I think of rhino, I only think of one name, it's John McCain. But uh, Really, tell us more about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just right now, when, you know, you see Republicans are really trying hard to get their act together and get things through Congress. And you see, see these wrenches thrown in it. And you, every time there's a wrench thrown in something to roadblock Trump on an issue, um, it, John McCain's face is on the news talking about why they did it. So that right there is frustrating. But um, as far as, I, I think that is just, um, basically there, there's a lot of infighting nationwide in the Republican Party right now. And there's moderates and there's further to the right um, conservatives. And I think that there is a place, I don't believe that the word rhino is a good term to use a lot. Um, I think that it's accurate sometimes, but uh, it, it's an inter-party debate and it, debate's healthy. And in the primary season, you're, you're gonna, the Republican party's job is to kind of elect the most conservative person they can for each area. And in some areas you can't elect a, a far right conservative. Some areas you're lucky if you can get a moderate over a Democrat. Um, and I think you have to look at the election, where it takes place, what the constituency looks like, 
and find the most conservative person you can win in that area if your goal is to support the values and principles of the Republican Party. Um, I think it's a way overused term, and it's basically anybody that takes a vote you don't like, all of a sudden they're not a real Republican, and um, they, a lot of times it's a misunderstanding of why that vote took place or what the alternative was. Uh, it's thrown around pretty loosely. Um, I, I don't like the term that we're seeing all around here, big government Republicans, that they try to say anybody that's ever worked across the aisle is all of a sudden a big government Republican, and um, you know, we don't live in a red state. We only have a third of the you know, three houses it takes to pass a law. We don't have the governor's mansion. We don't have the house. We might not have the Senate after this year. Um, so if we don't work across the aisle, we don't pass a bill. And so in Washington, um, it, you have to work across the aisle. You have to be able to get along with people that you don't agree with. And just because somebody works across the aisle and tries to have a decent relationship with somebody from the other side, doesn't mean they're not a real Republican, doesn't mean that they want big government, it just means that they want to get stuff done. And on the national scale, it's a little bit different because we do have the, you know, all three sections. We have the, the White House that's, uh, and the entire Congress. We should be able to slam bills through right now. And on the national level, we're seeing just complete stagnant um, as Congress right now. And so um, there is a difference, I think, between what we see sometimes on national level and what we have here in Washington state. But the division that you see on the national level reflects Clark County somehow uh, um, more so than Washington state because you see the, the moderate and the more conservative for the right um, fighting like they do on the, on the national level right now. David Robert Wiley, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me here. It's great yeah. talking to you. And next up on Clark Talks, my conversation with Congresswoman Jamie Herrera-Butler. So let's start with the issue that's kind of on everyone's minds, uh, tolling. Mm -hmm. You know, this has been a big issue for you as well. Um, yeah. So, you know, you recently sponsored an amendment that would block federal funding from using or from being used for Oregon's plan to put tolls on I-5 and 205 during the 2018 fiscal year. But, uh, you know, any tolling wouldn't happen for years. So I'm curious, you know, what would the amendment accomplish? Is it something that you're going to just keep pushing for every year? Or, you know, what's the plan there? Well, uh, first things first, mm -hmm. um, this was uh, kind of a, a fight, so to speak, that the, the Oregon legislature picked. Um, and their goal is to put tolls on the two routes, the two federal routes that um, adjoin uh, Portland to Southwest Washington, and the, you know, for me, it, it happened kind of quickly, and then all of a sudden, this is kind of rolling down the pike. And so for me, my amendment was the first step to show that we are in Southwest Washington and Washington State paying attention, um, and we're not going to let this just roll without any input. So, you know, I'm a, I'm not a state lawmaker, and I'm not an Oregonian. I'm not an Oregonian state lawmaker, so I took the steps I could as Southwest Washington's representative, and I put the ban on. It's a moratorium, essentially. Um, and you're right. Every year, appropriations bills have to pass, and I'd have to push another ban next year. But the first things first, I, you know, we're, we're um, asking our senators to make sure it's in their bill as well so that we send a strong united message to Oregon that we expect you to work with us on this and and um, really 
we're not going to just allow tolls to be placed unless um, they can give us a, a good justification and a good reason and a, and a, and a and a plan, a pathway um, that's going to relieve congestion and really bring, um, you know, a benefit to the people who are paying the tolls. Mm-hmm. This is, um, you know, you probably are familiar with the, the failed Columbia River Crossing project. Mm-hmm. The reason that failed was in large part the people in southwest Washington didn't see that they were going to get a benefit and they were going to have to pay a lion's share of the cost. I I truly believe, you know, we've put a, and, and I continue to say, you know, we, we have to find a solution here, but it can't be you know, one side dictating to the other that, you know, light rail has to be on here and you're going to have to pay tolls for it. You know, we, we've kind of come back and said, what kind of compromises could we bring to the table? Um, you know, could we do a bus rapid transit option? Could we build reversible lanes? You know, there are things we could do that we think would, you know, meet um, Portland halfway. When they throw this proposal out there, it, it, it really kicks all of that. I mean, it really kicks all of that in the eye. It's, it's really kind of a, a finger... <laughs> Send in the finger. Says we don't we don't want to work and collaborate on a bridge fix. We just want to charge you for using this, and that's fundamentally wrong for a couple reasons. You know, I'm not against user fees. User fees are not the problem, right? Someone p- drives over a road or someone uses something and they have to pay maintenance for it. That's that's actually a very fundamentally Republican concept. The problem here is what their scheme is is to take that money and literally use it just to keep reinforcing the tolls and cost, you know, do the congestion pricing or variable pricing, they have lots of different terms for it, but essentially charge people more for driving to work when their boss says they have to come to work at rush hour. The irony to me is, you know, Portland has some major issues with regard to housing. We're struggling with that in Clark County, and it's causing families to have to move not just to Clark County, but up into Cowlitz County, who have to commute into Portland, right? Well, these, these are working class folks. These are not, you know, these aren't your Lexus Lane people. These are the folks who don't get to tell their boss, I'm not going to come to work at this time. Mm-hmm. Now, these are people who generally are, you know, nine to fivers, and they have to get there on time. And these are the ones who are going to pay. I, I say these are the ones who are going to take it on the chin if we let Oregon's plan go forward. So right sure. now, this amendment um, is giving our senators a chance to weigh in and support the people of Southwest Washington with me and send a message to Oregon's delegation that says, "Hey." <laughs> We're, we're going to stand up for our people. We need to do this as a region in a collaborative way. Let's go back to the drawing board. I guess just to be clear, you're, you know, you said you're, you're open to discussion. So will you be trying to be part of the discussion as this, you know, moves forward over the next several years? Well, I, yeah, I've been part of this since my time as a state lawmaker. Um, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah just, you this know, that's definitely something will continue to be um, a major priority for those of us in Clark County. I mean, it wasn't my first job, but near my first job, uh, I commuted to just out of, just off of Columbia down into Delta Park. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked at Nike as a summer, summer work one summer. You know, so I, I've sat in this traffic, and that was, what, 15 years ago, and it was bad. Um, it'll continue to be a priority for, for me. Okay. Um, so let's look, move on to another topic that is again on everyone's minds. Um, you know, and you just recently signed a bar- bipartisan letter um, addressing bump stocks. Uh, you know, sending it to the director of the Firearm Bureau, uh, and it basically said, you know, that you, along with the other people that signed it, agreed to look into those regulations and ensure lawful compliance. But I'm I'm just curious. You know, other people have spoken out saying. You know, this is this is what we think. We think that we should be banned. Uh, what are your views on that? Are you intending to move toward 
legislation that prohibits these devices or? Well, I'm open to that. I think what I'm giving, you know, last week this was a lot, there was a lot of conversation amongst my colleagues and I about how, how, how did a lawful device get turned into essentially an unlawful device, right? Um, automatic weapons are not legal unless you jump through some serious hoops and, you know, there's, there's a whole rigmarole. So for the most part, the average person cannot just purchase an automatic weapon. And this, um, you know, this guy basically made his gun an automatic weapon. And my first reaction was, let's let's get the facts and so you know i i i want to know how atf um <laughs> scored this as a as a legal accessory um it doesn't make sense to me but i'm going to give them the opportunity to fix their mistake if they don't i am not opposed to moving forward legislatively um, one of my colleagues just introduced something yesterday um, and I'm going to be talking with him about it with, with regard to banning bump stocks. I just think it needs to be fixed. I'm okay with letting ATF fix the mistake. If they don't, then I'm not opposed to us moving forward legislatively. Hmm. And I think, you know, one of the, I, I look at this, I, I want to be careful and I want to be circumspect. Like, you know, I've said for a couple years now, um, we need to take whatever steps we can within the confines of the Constitution Right, and that we can make happen, you know, um, that are that that can bring an end um, to these these violent killings. It's it's terrifying, um, and I've taken some steps here. You know, we drew a primary opponent um, in in part, or I, I should say, I drew small opposition from my primary opponent because I voted to put funding into the National uh, Criminal Instant Background. Um, system. That was something he felt I shouldn't do. But if you're a felon or if you're mentally ill, um, we think this actually it had been funded properly, um, which allows the states to do an instant background check on criminals. Um, the, this could have flagged the Virginia Tech shooter. He mm -hmm. could have, that, that shooting could have been prevented. Um, you know, I also think on, you know, there's a couple different um, bills that I'm, I have communicated with our leadership about, which, you know, there was, um, with regard to preventing people who were on watch lists or on on some of these lists from getting firearms. You look at the up until now, which was the worst shooting in our history at the Orlando nightclub, you know, that guy had been on the FBI watch list. If we allowed right now, if we took that list and, and we even made it retroactive to five years and we said anybody who is on this list or who has been on this list recently, if they go to purchase a firearm, we should flag that. That should be held. And law enforcement, federal law enforcement, should be given the opportunity to look in and deny that. Um, they'd have to bring probable cause. That I love that idea because it not only does it allow us to stop people who we know or we suspect have nefarious intentions, but it also protects law-abiding citizens by not abridging their rights. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, everybody wants to stop these horrible things from happening. Um, but if you look in, in Europe and you look in some of these other places where they don't have firearms, but these horrible things are happening with vehicles, right? I don't want to take away everybody's right if we can't get to the root of the problem. And that leads me to the third thing that I think is really the most critical, and that's the mental health system. Obviously, you know, if you have mental health problems if you think it's okay to gun down 
your fellow citizens. I don't, I, or, or if, you know, I mean, I would, I would say for a terrorist as well, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not fellow citizens. But we need to address that. And if you look at a lot of these different shootings, you know, people in these, in these folks' history say, you know, there was something that wasn't right. We, we saw something happening. We knew, but there was no one to turn to. There was no system in place to, to get this person help. Um, last year, we had a bipartisan, the, the most, or I should say the biggest overhaul of our mental health system that we've done in decades, which was signed into law, um, is going to address a lot of these issues. It has to do with removing the federal barriers to care, getting the focus on programs, reforming the grants, and getting the money out to the people who are doing the work, making sure that the money is either going to treatment and crime reduction or making sure that our law enforcement officers can identify and respond to, to folks with mental illness. So there's a, there's a huge, I mean, I think there's not one answer to stopping this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a start. We put almost $3 billion into getting that rolling. So we have to, we have to take this fight, um, this battle, on several different levels. If, if, if banning bump stocks gets us there, that's not a problem to me. You know, that, okay. that to me is keeping with the spirit of the law. Um, you know, I, I, I think we need to do this in a way, though, that is circumspect and that doesn't abridge rights in the process. And I think we can. I absolutely think we can. So speaking on rights, I want to talk about DACA for a minute. Um, you know, you had a statement last month that said, you know, President Obama created a difficult situation and you emphasized a desire to protect those children who I believe your words were, you know, had done nothing wrong. Uh, but, you know, he also created DACA. So what do you think should have been done? I think that the, that the president at the time, and I still believe we have to do this, should have taken on immigration reform, not as a political issue, and I say this to Obama and to, to Trump, but as an actual <laughs> legitimate issue that needs to be solved. So the way I've, I've talked about this is I, I'm all for securing our borders. I don't care if it's a wall. I don't care if it's an electric, you know, a, a digital fence. I don't, whatever is going to work is what we need to do. I will support that. But we also need to make sure that the system, it works for those people who want to come here legally, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, if I was a, a poor uh, mom in a different country, and I was close to the United States, you better believe I'd want to come live here. Um, and I want those people who want to be a part of our country and who want to share in the American dream to come. Um, you know, talk to folks in our in the restaurant industry and in the ag industry. I mean, pick a labor-intensive industry. I just had a conversation with some of our shellfish growers out on the coast. Um, and you can talk to you – in know, Washington, one of our biggest exports is apples. They, they rot on trees because they can't get enough workers to pick them. And so there's another piece there with regard to our, our economy. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make sure that these folks can come if they want to come seasonally. They don't want to come be citizens. They just want the opportunity to work and then support their family in their home country. Why not have a robust program that works? You know, a number of the people who come here illegally – come legally and overstay their visas. There are laws on the books right now that prevent that, and they're just not enforced. So I think if we take those steps, then when it comes to issues where I think it's really much more just humanitarian, when you're talking about kids who came here illegally, if we prove to the American people that Congress is going to do its job and secure the borders and own um, the, the immigration, right? Like, it's not, it's not radical to say we want to know who's coming and going. If we do that, I think we will have earned some faith with the American people. And I think then we can say, okay, we've got 
people who came here as a three-year-old or, or whatever the case may be, as a child, they've been law-abiding citizens, this is their country, can we provide a path to bring them out of the shadows and allow them to be productive members of society? And I think that I think the people I serve, I think the people across the nation are going to say, yes, let's do that. Mm-hmm. The problem comes when we blanket, we say, okay, everybody who's here, we'll just, every, you know, we'll, we'll remove all rules and laws and we'll just move forward, kind of clean slate it. But then if you never fix the problem of the open, porous borders, we're going to be in the same place again in 10 years. And I think that's what people are frustrated with. Mm-hmm. It's not that they don't want immigrants here. They're frustrated that the federal government hasn't secured the border. And, and to tell you the truth, you know, I serve on the Appropriations Committee. My job is a little different than most representatives. Most representatives serve on authorizing committees where they set the policy. Um, our job is to then go along and kind of fill the pots of money with what we have. Like within our budget, we prioritize mm-hmm. how that money gets spent. And a couple of times now, several years, I know we have put money into um, security, whether it's a wall, whether it's more Border Patrol agents, where whether it's, you know, digital upgrades. And I still have to ask why this hasn't been done. Um, so I understand the frustration. I think we need to address the wholesale issue. And okay. and quite frankly, I think both sides have used it as a political football. Mm-hmm. I remember being really frustrated when Democrats had control of the House and the Senate and the White House, and they didn't fix this. They didn't do it. But then when Republicans had control of Congress, you know, President Obama stepped in and created the DACA program. I, I felt like at that point it was becoming a political football. They wanted to drive a wedge in between for elections and election purposes. And and I'm not going to absolve the Trump administration from from doing similar things to get people, you know, politically motivated. I think we need to step back from all of that. I think we need to look this square in the eye. And I think, again, we can. And there are a number of people. um, There's a bipartisan group that I've been working with. It's not a public group. They're not trying to get their name in the paper. Um, and I would always say be careful about those who are doing this just to get their name in the paper, but have been trying to hammer these details out for a way to move forward that's going to meet all these needs. And, I, again, I, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that group and to be working on I think we can get there. You know, with with Trump in mind, you know, you didn't endorse him. Um, you know, many Republicans are just becoming more critical of him. Um, but I, you know, I, I can't think that I've heard, you know, an update from you or a statement on him. So I, I don't know. Do you? Is there a point where you might speak out against him and be critical of him? Or yeah. Well, I I don't think I'm going to be critical just to be critical. I realize it's popular and it definitely gets you press, but mm-hmm. that isn't what I did under Obama. Um, you know, I, I never criticized him for the sake of it. In fact, the few times I actually did, it had to do with policy. That was very specific to Southwest Washington. And that's the exact same approach I'll take with Trump. Um, you know, it's funny. On face value, President Obama was very charismatic and, you know, was very easy to talk with, you know, didn't have these big snafus. But if I, I was thinking about this this morning, but his policy was terrible. I mean, we have a completely stagnant economy, didn't fix immigration, healthcare is coming apart at the seams, and we have the biggest debt. He added more to the debt than all, like, of the last eight presidents combined. Like, we're in a terrible place. You look at the international policy, and <laughs> the world's a mess. And now here comes Trump, who isn't polished, isn't charismatic, doesn't say all the right things. In fact, says, I would say a lot of wrong things, yet... Today, he took a step that I was really pleased with. 
he signed an executive order that's going to allow association health plans to come into play. So it's, it's yeah, I mean, I guess I could criticize for the sake of criticizing, but his policies, not all of them, but you know, just when I get frustrated, I see him moving forward with this. I like where he's going with wildfires. I like where he's going with making, you know, we talk about some lumber stuff in, in southwest Washington. I like where he's going with some of the trade agreements. So his policies are to move us forward. And if they move southwest Washington forward, I'm going to work with them on those policies. Um, now, the same is true. If, he, if he's pushing us backward or if we have problems, I, I'll be right there. Um, I think I've demonstrated... And my willingness to stand up um, when I feel like it, it, I'm going to be able to bring a change to a conversation and move something in the right way. Um, and I'll continue to do that. In your position as a representative of the House, you're kind of always perpetually on the campaign trail. Um, you know, there's been a few candidates who have filed recently, uh, you know, for your position. Uh, are you planning to, you know, ramp things up soon and start hosting some town halls here, you know, starting the conversation here? Or, uh, you know, at what point, I guess, does that begin for you? Well, I, I should be careful because... Uh, town halls are something I do and will continue to do as a part of my official office, but I'm, I can't mix campaign activities with official. Sure. So um, I, on the campaign front, uh, yes, I will. I mean, I've, I have been, you know, it's hard because there's been a lot going on and campaigning isn't the isn't always the top of my list. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I've got two young kids at home and we have been in D.C., a lot this year, and it's been very policy-focused. I will get to campaigning. <laughs> I, I will always take the opportunity, but we are still um, in a, a year out from the mm-hmm. election, so as we get closer, you'll see me start to turn on, on more of the campaign activities and the political activities. But I, one of the things I've found is if you do your job right, the campaigning and the political stuff tends to go the right direction. I don't want to say it takes care of itself because you have to put in your effort. You have to ask voters for their support. I think it's appropriate to present yourself. Um, But if you're doing your casework, if you're working on legislation that's important to the district, if you're making sure that their voice is heard here in this Washington, then then voters tend to send you back. At least that's been my experience, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's been the tack I've taken and will continue to do. One of the another big issue for for Trump, both on the campaign trail and you know currently, is tax reform. Um, and there's been there's been a few proposals on that. Um, but I I don't know that I've you know seen anything from you on you know your position on tax reform, what you'd like to see. Uh, is there is there anything that you're looking for that would cause you either to vote in favor or against a, a tax reform policy? Well. So there's a bunch of questions there. I support tax reform. Let's put it this way. We'll start there. I support making sure that we are making the code fairer and simpler and making it work for – my goal, what I'm looking at, the sweet spot for me is are people, um, really working class people, um, are they going to be in a better place? Is the economy going to be working better for them if we move forward with this? So that's the prism by which I'm looking at this. You know, a lot of small businesses in our region, we are, you know, there are some big companies, um, and we're grateful for the jobs that they, they bring. But a lot of our health in southwest Washington is 
really due to small and medium-sized businesses, oftentimes family businesses. Um, when we hit the recession, those were the ones that were dying, and I feel like they're the canary in the coal mine. If they can survive, um, then our economy is going to grow. That's where most new jobs come from. So tax reform, in my mind, should put them on a more level playing field with the big corporates. They should have just as much ability. Um, fair taxation is, is, is healthy, right? It's good. Mm-hmm. It keeps you know, it keeps our defense moving. It, it does the basics of government. When it gets to where we're picking winners and losers and we're, we're funding, you know, people use the term corporate welfare. When we, we go that route, it's those small businesses that don't survive. And those are the ones that I want to see thrive because they're really the backbone of our economy in Southwest Washington. So for me, that's how I'm going to judge what they put out with regard to tax reform. I mean, a lot has changed since 86. That's the last time they did tax reform. It is definitely time to update the code. It's definitely time um, to, to move it forward. You know, I think we're at 1.5% growth, GDP growth, which means our economy is it's not stagnant, but it's, it's darn near stagnant. We need, it needs to move forward, and I think um, we can unleash that job creation with better rates. We just need to get there, and I, I'm, you know, there's there part of part of why you haven't seen me say yay or nay is we haven't really gotten a hardcore um, proposal. Um, there's a lot of nuance being released, but there's not a lot of hard details. And I'm going to keep my powder dry um, until I see hard details. But you know, part of what I wanted to share was. These people, this prism, that's how I'm looking at this. And if you can get it in the sweet spot, I'm there. And I I think we are. I I actually think they're in the same place. That's what they want, a simpler, easier, fairer code um, that's going to lower individual rates. So I think we'll get there. But I also think it's going to make people uneasy. Like when you touch something like tax reform, and it hasn't been done in a big way in 20-plus years, it's gonna, you know, everybody's gonna get nervous, and that's okay. Big things shake up the status quo. That's good. I want to do that. I just want to make sure that the outcome gets us where where we all want to go, and and that's the goal. So I guess the the last thing you know that we can talk about is what you're working on right now. You're working on this veterans history project. Uh, so you know, what can you tell me about it? Well, it's actually, I, I, one of my colleagues did something like this. This is how it came to my attention is um, the Library of Congress does a, uh, basically they, they're doing an oral history project, and they have um, already completed, I believe, World War One, and now they're working to complete World War Two oral histories, and it's, it's recorded forever. Um, it's our, it, 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 they're, they're going to get all wars, but the goal is to get them, you have I don't know why, but they, it's Congress that they're working through, and you, we have to sponsor it. But we get to invite folks in our district to come in and tell their story. And it will be recorded. It's an audio recording, um, but it's done through a live interview, and it comes back, and it's archived, and it's searchable, um, and it's on, so it's on virtual display all the time. Uh, through the Library of Congress, and people can submit um, pictures, they can submit diaries, they can submit memorabilia, but what we really want are the stories. You know, as we're watching this greatest generation leave us, we want to capture as much of their wealth of wisdom and knowledge and experience as absolutely possible, and and ultimately their patriotism. Um, And two, (laughs) I think some of their warnings, the things that they think could have gone better, that's all 
so valuable. And so my opportunity um, to be a part of this just got me super excited. So we're just going to be hosting in a couple different counties um, veterans to come in, share their story, and we'll get to preserve it really for all time. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody, that is a wrap. So if you have any questions or comments, you can please uh, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you guys. And I want to say thank you very much for rolling with us and listening to all the shows. Uh, the, e- the show's email address is podcast at Columbian.com. You can email me directly, damien.pizanti at Columbian.com. You can find me on Twitter. You can find this podcast just about anywhere you find podcasts. So thank you for tuning in. Tell your friends to tune in as well. And I will look forward to talking to you in just a couple weeks. Take care.